Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show. I'm your host, Lewis McParlane, and I've returned from my holiday to get back to talking about all things football and French. Mainly how French teams find it really difficult to win football matches against teams that aren't from France. Huh. Uh, today I'm joined, as ever, by GFFN's favourite Angers fan, Thomas Wiseman. Hello, Thomas. I've not actually seen you in a while. I've not been on. And I've got to ask you, have you come to terms yet with the fact that Angers' early season success was all just a fluke and that you'll be back to fighting for survival come April? Well, in our early season, we lost 6-0 uh, and got battered by PSG and Lille. So uh, it's a 50-50 thing, but uh, we did play some sumptuous football against uh, Brest on the weekend. We did lose, but not not, not the point. Um, <laughs> we'll carry on and see how we go. Yeah, Brest's goalkeeper work was just insane. Yeah, loss now was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it's insane. Uh, I'm also joined today by Jake Smales, who hasn't been on the show for a few weeks due to a recent move. What's been going on with that, Jake? Uh, so I have actually recently moved to Paris uh, for the first time, which has been a, uh, a pretty incredible whirlwind uh, experience. And so naturally, the last few weeks have been pretty hectic, it's fair to say. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so very excited to be back and to be talking about French football. I've missed this. <laughs> what part of uh, Paris are you living in? Uh, I'm actually living, for those of you who know, I'm living in the, the 18th arrondissement, right at the bottom of Montmartre, uh, which is a famous area. So right at the bottom of the Sacré-Cœur, which is a massive uh, church uh, on a big hill that overlooks most of the city. So, uh, so a lovely, lovely part of the world. There will probably be people listening to this who understand, like Paris <laughs> yeah. uh, geography, yeah. etc. A long way from the Parc de France, unfortunately, but oh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping yeah. to go. And my third and final guest is Clinton McDubus, a Valencia fan from Nigeria who made his first appearance of the season on the show last week with Jeremy Smith. Thanks again to Jeremy for covering me last week. So, Clinton, how did you become a Valencia fan? Um, so, I watched a game at Highbury many years ago, 2001, April 4th, actually. Yes, I, I'm very good with dates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was a game at Highbury between Arsenal and Valencia. It was a CL quarterfinal game. And I watched the game to see Kanu, my countryman. And um, along the line, I fell in love with the players from Valencia. Uh, we lost the game 2-1, but I fell in love with the colours, the players, the everything about the club. And I mean, especially Mendieta, Kili Gonzalez and Canizares. Those three really, really, like, Better my love for Valencia. And from mm. there, it's just been okay. It, it started as like great because we got to a CL final, which we lost. We won two league titles in three years. And then after that, yeah, <laughs> everything just went downhill a bit. But um, it's been a roller coaster and it's been very, very, very interesting and fun being a Valencia fan because we had the definition of a should I say banter team? <laughs> a banter team. Because there's always some drama. There's always some drama in Valencia. Dude, I can Trust tell you me. about banter teams. Supporting Hamilton, honestly. <laughs> there's always some drama. There was a time we, we played against our youth team because, I mean, morale was low. And we played against our youth team. Like, the senior team played against the youth team to, you know, boost morale and stuff. And we lost that game 4-1. <laughs> Oh my god! 
<laughs> so it was our party. And then we had Gary Neville as our manager for a while. Oh, man. I, was... I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, we've been through a lot. <laughs> First, we're going to focus on some of the European action that happened this week. We'll start with the Champions League and the champions of France, that is PSG. They travelled to Belgium in midweek and put five past Club Bruges. Mauro Icardi got a brace with two goals and Kylian Mbappe put a hat-trick past Bruges in just 22 minutes. It's absurd to think, when you think about Mbappe, that he's still just 20 years old. And he's kind of been drifting out of the team recently due to recovering from a hamstring injury. But despite that, in his last few bench appearances, he has made seven goal involvements in his last 55 (laughs) minutes of football. Just staggering numbers. (laughs) Thomas, in my notes, I just have Kelly Mbappe really good. So I just want to I just want to put it to you. Just how (laughs) just how good is Kelly Mbappe, Lotan? Uh, very good. Um, it, it was it was interesting to see in this game. I mean, the, the first half, um, PSG were pretty well contained. Uh, they only had really that one chance for goal. Um, Club Bruges did, did did play well to just contain them and were just maybe just um, nudged ahead in, in being the better side. Um, but um, as soon as Mbappe came on, it was it was sort of all over. Um, it, it's just it's stupid how 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 good of player he is. I mean, he is he's twenty years old, but he's already you know one of the best players in the world. And and looking at anybody else around that age, that talent pool, he's just he's just on a completely different planet from them. Um, it wasn't it wasn't even like oh he's just come on you know the uh, Bruges players are getting tired. He was just imperious. He he. Everything he did, well, he missed one chance to run goal. It could have been uh, even more goals, but everything he did was was just sensational. And he just proves again how he is the main man at this club. Um, and uh, and PSG do do miss him when he's not there, and it, and it just shows when he comes on. He, he sort of like a, a messy impact that, that he can have at, at Barcelona. He just comes on and completely flips the game, uh, and it becomes the Mbappe show. I feel like sometimes people are, are are quite scared to have this debate, but hell to hell with that. I kind of want to put it to you, Jake. Is he the best player in the world? Let, let, let's look at Messi and Ronaldo, who have had their issues yeah, as they're getting a little bit older. So it's almost quite sad to see that. I mean, I'm saying this, they're still obviously incredible players, Gizo. But, you know, for the first time in a while, you saw Ronaldo's numbers just ever so slightly dip you know, below his usual standard. Messi, we've seen, didn't really start this season because he had injury issues coming back with, I believe it was a, a, a problem in his leg. I can't remember what it was. But, you know, so they're starting to show their age a little bit. I don't want to blow it out of proportion because obviously <laughs> bloody incredible players. But is Mbappe closer to being the best player in the world now than he ever has been? Yeah, listen, I mean, he... he... This is a guy who's who's shown for the last couple of years, um, really ever since uh, he was at Monaco, that he in that breakout season that he had potential to get to that level. But really, you know, the first time that he was he was seen as more than a wonder kid was the was the World Cup where he absolutely took the world by storm. You know, he was arguably the standout player of France's campaign, certainly in a in an attacking sense. And since then, he's 
he's you know despite only being 20 now been put in that put in that bracket that that bracket of of top level player and he's someone who who has the ambition to 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 cement himself at that level this is a guy who came out in the uh, LFP ceremony in um, at the end of last season saying that he he wanted more responsibility at PSG you know he wants to be the main man and after this last game he came out and said that he he wanted to come on and show that it's difficult I think the exact quote in English was that he wanted to come on and show that it's difficult to do without me. As in, you know, he wants to be he wants to be at the heart of everything, even though he's only just come back from injury. He wants to to have a a Messi level campaign or Ronaldo level campaign in terms of goals, in terms of goal contributions. So, so the fact that he's already you know already showing that level of ambition and and signs as with the other night that he can do it. Um, gives you is all you need to know to to uh, in regards to that question this is a guy who can who can absolutely aim to be at the very top level i mean we're talking about two absolutely freak level players in terms of their the level that they've achieved in their career but certainly uh, as far as i'm concerned mbappe is the is the the most likely player anywhere near his generation to to reach anywhere near that level mm-hmm. i'd definitely give it like 12 months before this becomes a bit more of a serious conversation between between people. It's just his level. To think that he's not started a match since the 4-0 victory over Toulouse in August. You know, he's been out for quite a while. And we've seen with other really young strikers how hamstring injuries have just mm-hmm. killed them because it killed the pace. What it happened with Michael Owen, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, just completely killed their career before it even really started. But Mbappe, you know... He's been out for a while. He's been held back. You know, he, he hasn't got into the swing of things yet. And he comes in against a good team in Bruges. Let's not pretend like they're a Sunday league club. Mm-hmm. They're a really good team in Belgium. And he scores three goals in 22 minutes. And uh, that's not to say that he hasn't done that against even better teams in the Champions League before for PSG and Monaco. You know, um, Manchester City and Manchester United, I think, as well, spring to mind for, for teams he scored yeah. against. And Liverpool, of course. And Liverpool, yeah. It might, it might actually be Liverpool mixing it up with instead of United. But yeah, good, good teams, geez. Oh, yeah. let me hit you with some numbers right now for his career so far, the, the story so far. So he has 97 club goals in 167 senior football appearances. And that's, I've counted, I've counted that as like club appearances against men. So that's Monaco, Monaco's second team that play in France's fourth tier. And of course, PSG on loan and when he finally transferred a few years ago. Add on to that number, 13 goals in 33 France caps. He's only 20 years old. Jesus, like, (laughs) I want to know, Clinton, like, where does his career go from here? Does his future lie at Madrid? Uh, that was a Freudian slip of what I said a second. <laughs> does his, because uh, that's what I was reading in my notes, does his career lie in Paris or does he have to move, do you think, to to, to achieve his goals? Does You know, where does he go from here? Well, I, I personally believe, and I've been saying it for a while, that Kylian should stay in Paris. Like, there's no reason why he should go to Madrid, especially at this point point in time i think paris is the best place for him and so far um if you look at his career and what he's been able to do i mean right there in france he's been able to get on the ballon d'or list three years in a row and obviously he's going to be top 10 or top five or something this time around so he's going to be top 10 ballon d'or list three years in a row while playing in france so it's not like um, anything is going to drastically change if he goes to um, spain or something 
whatever he can achieve in Madrid, I believe he can do it at PSG. He's already, you know, winning the league and all of that. I mean, what else do you want? Champions League, right? He can do that. He can do that in Paris. And as it is, PSG have a far better team than Real Madrid currently. Then they they have a better. I mean, they they look healthier than Real Madrid. Real Madrid still mm. they, they are going yeah. through a transition and they have to you know fix a lot of things. I mean, look at Hazard struggling currently in Madrid and trying to you know make his, make a name for himself there. So um, I feel that Kylian is is going to have the best career that he can possibly have if he stays in Paris, except it gets to a point where he gets bored. That, and that's if he has won the Champions League, has won everything, and he can no longer motivate himself and he needs a new challenge. Only then would I think, okay, it's a good move to, you know, step away from there. But, I mean, as it is, what does he have to lose? He's, he's like the prince of the king of Paris at this point. He's <laughs> enjoying his football. He's, he's the go-to guy for his team currently. I mean, even when Neymar is there, they, they share that responsibility of being the, the guys that should make something happen. He's comfortable. He's scoring goals, and he has um, he has a, a head start on Messi and Ronaldo. If you if you remember, they didn't have good ratios, goal mm. ratios, in their youth until they got to 21-22. He has already done all of that at 20. Right? So his potential is already huge. He's, He's heading towards 700 goals, 750 goals, if he can keep it up for another 10 years, 10, 11, 12 years. Mm. So, I mean, now is the time for him to build that and just build on what he has already started. I mean, he's in the form of his life. I believe that he's already a, a top five player. I'm tired of people talking about him as a young talent. I don't think he's a, he should be referred to as a young talent anymore. He's a freak. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he's, he's, he's beyond being a young player. talent now. You can't, you can't yeah, class him absolutely. You can't class him as that. He's a world-class yeah. player in his own right. Mm, and I think yeah, he's a top absolutely. five player. So, um, as it is, I think he should, he should just stay in Paris and enjoy his football. I mean, compete for the league go into Champions League and do what he can do and see if he can win it. He's already won the World Cup. There's no pressure on that front. So it's just really the Champions League that's left for him to win. And he has a very good supporting cast in Paris. So I feel mm-hmm. that... Um, and I feel like he has something to prove also because if he leaves before delivering a Champions League to PSG, it would look like he never really completed his business in, in Paris, so it's, it makes sense for him to actually try to deliver that to the club. And so I, I believe that his future lies in Paris. I do. I love how uh, the Golden Boy Award just has stopped nominating him because they don't even count <laughs> yeah. him as like a young talent anymore. Like they're yeah. like they are fully behind him, just going for Ballon d'Ors and, and things like that. And Fine to enough. be honest, like probably if he didn't play in France, he would be up for that. He would be up for the Ballon d'Or, but there's still the stigma against Ligue 1 as if it is this yeah, Farmers League. Exactly. So that does hold him back, sure, I feel, sure. in the, in the yeah, bigger terms. Absolutely. But you absolutely. Know, that, that probably won't bother him too much. It, so if we look at, at Mbappe and see the obvious talent that he has, and of course Neymar, who's been in and out of the team through injury and uh, suspension recently, chuck in Angel Di Maria as well for good size, and that's oh. a pretty good front three. Thomas. Is it the best front three in Europe? Question mark, question mark in my notes. <laughs> um, Try to think of a better one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so what have I we got? Liverpool, We've got Liverpool. Liverpool. Um, Liverpool. What would you call City's front three? We've got Bernardo Silva, 
uh, Aguero and Sterling. Sterling. Sterling uh, these days, yeah. Bayern Munich have got Lewandowski, Gnabry and Coman. Is that their other winger? Yeah. Um, who yeah, else? Normally you've got Barcelona, I guess you've got, you've got Griezmann, Messi and uh, Suarez. Probably. I wouldn't say that's the best. I wouldn't say I mean, that's the best. You know? if, if, if you look at, I mean, it was nice you mentioned Di Maria because he was, I mean, Mbappe, it was a, it was the Mbappe show, but Di Maria was also, I mean, phenomenal. His pass for, I think it was Mbappe's final goal. Oh, yeah. Outside the foot. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Gorgeous. And then I think he was, he was mentioned a lot on the, um, the podcast earlier on the week mm-hmm. that Di Maria is, I mean, apart from Mbappe, the most important player at PSG. Absolutely. Consistently performing over and over again. And it, it's got to a point where his his form is hitting, you know, the levels we saw at Real Madrid, I think it was 2013, 14, where he was one yeah. of the best players in the world. And he's, he's getting to that stage where you can't really, you can't really say, no, he's not at that level because he's getting to that point where he's just, he's just, Sort of running the games for PSG, and then Mbappe comes on mm-hmm. and he sort of hands over the uh, the baton to him. <laughs> I, I have yeah. a problem with Di Maria, though. Um, I feel like he's a great side man, but when he has to be the man in a high pressure moment, then he shrinks. So I think his importance to PSG is in being great supporting cast to. Mm. Mbappe, when they have to take the pressure, Mbappe and Neymar, when they have to take the pressure of delivering something for PSG, when he doesn't have that spotlight on him, it can be, it can be phenomenal. He he steps up. Like the 2014 Champions League final, he, it wasn't about Di Maria, but he took center stage because, you know, the, the pressure was on someone else. It was on Ronaldo. It was on mm. you know, the other guys, BBC. But when Di Maria has to be that guy, I mean, he has disappointed me, you know, a few times because I used to be a huge fan of him. And over the years, I've just I've just been sad about it because I started to try to figure out what, what was going on with him because it would, it would absolutely smash it for months, you know, in the league and all that. And then in those key CL ties where you, you'd actually need him to step up. I mean, the Camp Nou game, the 6-1, was, I was very disappointed in his performance when he came off the bench. Then also, I mean, this Manchester United tie, I don't think he he did as well as he could have, especially considering his form in the months before the mm. tie. He just completely shrunk, and of course, he didn't get as much pressure and as much um, um, as much slander as Mbappe got. Mbappe, the twenty-year-old, got all the all the all the fire. So I I I'm always very cautious of Di Maria when he's in form and he's playing like this. Like, okay, this is great. But I still have that little skepticism about him. Like, okay, what is going to happen when it's a big CL tie and there's a lot of pressure and he has to take some of the pressure? How is he going to perform? How is he going to... So I think PSD need him to finally banish those ghosts and just be that guy when they need someone like him. You know, bring that inspiration. Mm. Uh, it's, it's almost like a similar situation to Benzema. At Madrid for the last like however however long he's been there ten years or something because under like under as he was the sidekick to Ronaldo for so long his job was kind of just to sacrifice himself for Ronaldo make space for him get assists to him just let Ronaldo be amazing and I think he was so not to say Ronaldo's an insane player because obviously one of the best players of all time but I still think Benzema is so key to that and it was interesting when Ronaldo went to Juve 
to see, oh, how is how is Benzema going to do now that he's, he's the main man pretty much? Is he going to sink? Is he going to swim? Because Mariana Diaz didn't play that well. Mm. Uh, Bale didn't play that well last season. And he stepped yeah. up so much, scored north of 20 goals and just showed his talent. And I do think that's what, that's what Di Maria has. Um, it shows like when Neymar isn't there, he plays better than he does when Neymar, or, or at least scores more goals than when Neymar isn't there. It does. But, but it's, it's, it's almost like Di Maria is going through what Neymar... Sorry, wait, I've got a point at the end of this. Stay with me. <laughs> Di Maria is going through what Neymar went through at Barca when he thought he couldn't be the main man because of Messi, because of Suarez, so he had to leave. It's almost like Di Maria is now under Neymar's shadow, even though he's probably not that far off being as good a player as Neymar. It's just incredible talent. But that, that's my point on Di Maria. And I do think it's a very good front line they're putting together now. With Thomas Tuchel, yeah, who's sure. one of the best attacking managers sure. around right now, I think. Um, I think they've scored like 13 goals in their last three games, PSG. And, and it's just, just to quickly say, Di Maria has more or less been involved in the last nine of those goals in <laughs> oh, the right, last two insane. games. Yeah. So if it's not a goal or an assist, then it's directly in the build-up in the last yeah. two games. So yeah, basically yeah. a key part of the last nine goals they've scored. So, yeah. So, PSG's form right now is that they've won 10 of their last 11 matches. Don't mention Ramps. With <laughs> nine with nine clean sheets along the way. Uh, clean sheets against the likes of Real Madrid, who are terrible now. Lyon, who are terrible now. And Galatasaray, who are terrible now. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're still big names. So... Throughout Tuchel's career, defence has always kind of really been an issue. When he was at Dortmund, the reason he kind of lost his job is that they stopped outscoring teams because their defence was always awful. At Mainz, it wasn't much better. But has he finally made it click in Paris, Jake? I mean, like I said, 10 clean sheets in their last 11 matches. It really looks like they've sorted out their defensive base, Jake. Yeah, it's, it's promising signs. I think, you know, a big criticism going into the season for example was the or a bigger uh, you know uh, question mark over PSG was was the fullbacks and actually they've kind of proven a lot of doubters wrong in in bigger moments over the course of the season I mean yeah they've had a couple of blips in in Liga but they've been pretty much faultless uh, at least uh, defensively in in the Champions League um, and I think I think you know I think Bernat was very good for a lot of last season and went under the radar and has really kind of again continued yeah. that this season. Yeah. Um, uh, Thomas Monnier, when he when he when he is good, I think he's really good. You know, there was a lot of stuff linking him with moves away, um, and I know he's injured now, which is a is a little bit of a blow. But again, when he's on on his day, he's he's great. Kimpembe, when he's been called upon this season, has been a lot better than he was last season. A lot more consistent. You know, almost back to yeah. the Kimpembe we know he can be, and. Um, Thiago Silva's Thiago Silva, really, you know, at, at, on the perhaps on the decline in terms of his age and, and overall ability. But I, I still rate him as one of one of the world's best, absolutely. And you know, that's all. That's all without Marquinhos playing in his best position, which which is still centre back because of how phenomenal he's been uh, in that in that central role. So to go as far as to say, you know, all their defensive issues have been resolved is perhaps um, a slight overstatement, but. But certainly they're in a better position than they've been in the last few years. This is the most complete squad. Well, Thiago Silva said it uh, after the game midweek. He said this is the best PSG squad he's, uh, he's been a part of. And um, I think it's the most complete PSG squad yeah. we've seen. And uh, definitely defensively, that's a big part of that. Even if there are some areas they can improve as a unit, they've, they've been very, very good. And, and you know, should uh, 
previous signs this season going forward should should remain very good. So let's move on to one of the other French teams that were involved in midweek, and this is Lyon. Jake, I want to stay with you for this one because you wrote an article uh, in the week there, didn't you, talking about Lyon's new managerial change with Rudy Garcia taking the reins off of Silvino. Just generally, what's been your opinion on this appointment? So my... uh, Personally, I feel this is a very sensible choice short-term, but the wrong choice long-term. This is clearly a choice uh, from uh, Jean-Michel Olas and uh, Janinho. I mean, the the president has suggested that it's a that it was uh, Janinho's decision, uh, the sporting director, which which he too has backed up. Um, that this uh, yeah, this is a decision that he's made. That um, it's one which which he's positive with going forward. But ultimately, the issue that I have with this is that Garcia's recent career trajectory is not is not particularly promising this is somebody who who tactically has been has been found out in over recent seasons um somebody who kind of made his name playing a very exciting attacking dynamic brand of football uh which um especially in italy got got found out and especially in the champions league uh it's a manager who who really doesn't adapt tactically for the opposition sides play against um, and somebody who is not only tiresome in an in an on the pitch sense with the team's tactics, but also off the pitch. Recent, um, more recent spell at Marseille, where you know after every game it was uh, someone else's fault. The Marseille were the Marseille was slipping up. Usually the referee, usually the officials. Um, I also think it's one that is very surprising given um, his his recent history with Lyon. This is somebody who has uh, vocally uh, suggested that uh, Lyon are favoured by by the referees in in France um, over Marseille um, and somebody who said that you know Lyon are that, that, that Lyon Lyon effectively have it far easier someone who Jean-Michel Olas has, has come out and publicly criticized for this and also distance with the distance from the Lyon job in the past so so overall it's just an appointment that that it, it, it makes sense because after the after the Silvino gamble, they've gone for somebody who knows the league, somebody who's had success in the past, somebody who speaks the language. Um, but ultimately, they've gone for somebody who is going to be really unpopular with the fans. And um, you know, already in the last couple of days, we've se- uh, last couple of match days, sorry, we've seen um, mixed performances on the pitch at best, shall we say? And it's early days, but I'm. It's not an appointment that I'm entirely um, behind and entirely positive about as a as a neutral i think it's one that is destined long term for uh, if not failure then for 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 crisis and collapse i think so jake there was a quote from jean-michel alas that came out uh, in midweek and he was just talking about how himself juninho gerard Hulier, and also vincent honso came to the the decision of rudy garcia he noted that there were five main candidates that they spoke to. So let's think about it. So what it was Lauren Blanc, Jocelyn Gourvenec, um, Rudy Garcia, Jose Mourinho, I guess. I don't, can't think of who the fifth one was. How did they come to Garcia? Like, like Thomas, yeah. what, what, what's, what's your opinion on this? You know, we've just heard, we've just heard what, what Jake thinks, that they came to Rudy Garcia. What's your opinion on this? 
Um, it's just a very... Uh, I'm, in some way, I'm not very surprised about it. Um, they, they, they took a, a risk on Janino. Um, not Janino. Well, they did take a risk on Janino. Uh, Silvino. <laughs> um, which clearly was um, part of the 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 sort of deal of getting Janini in. They wanted Janini in so badly that they didn't realise who he'd brought with him um, as, as, the, as a coach. Uh, and then they've just completely gone one sort of a spun back round and, and tries to go conservative. And Garcia is a conservative manager. You know, he's, he's he has been good in the past. Um, but for, as, as a fan, you'd, <laughs> you wouldn't be very happy with uh, the appointment and, <laughs> I'm not sure how long it'll it'll take for for the fans to get over to get over that because they are a, they are a, a passionate passionate bunch. And a, a big reason, reportedly as well, why he was chosen was that uh, Laurent Blanc, who was the, the the forerunner for a long time, wanted to mm-hmm. to kind of revamp the backroom staff at Lyon, and and Rudy Garcia was willing to sort of stick with the current the current. Um, the, the current staff which, regime which was a, yeah the current regime yeah. yeah which was a big reason for for Jean-Michel Olas and Janino um sticking with him because you know Jean-Michel Olas is is a uh, um famously loyal to the backroom staff and that just screams short terms doesn't it yeah <laughs> yeah he's doing yeah. that that's that, that, it, it I mean the contract short term but that that is short term isn't that yeah yeah sure. exactly exactly and I think you know I, I, I as I say I I I personally believe that that could prove very costly, that, that sort of loyalty, that blind loyalty. Mm-hmm. When is the contract until? Uh, end of next season. Oh, is yeah. that right? Okay. Yeah, end of, end of 2021, I believe. That's still not that long, though, for, you know, a club like Leon doesn't put loads of faith into it. You know what I mean? It's not, mm. it's not that expensive if they wanted to cut it short. But are we being a bit too harsh on him? You know, when you look at his career... In, in, in its entirety, he's won Ligue 1, he's won the Coupe de France, he took Marseille to the Europa League just two seasons ago, the Europa League final rather, just two seasons ago, and was manager of the year four times. You know, like Thomas did say, he's a bit of a conservative manager, but are we being too harsh on him, Jake, or do you still feel, no, this wasn't the right appointment? Well, listen. He, he's somebody who who has shown that he can he can manage at the at the the top table, relatively speaking. You know what he did at Lille in terms of taking a team that was already doing 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 pretty impressive things under Claude Puel and releasing them. You know, unlocking this attacking potential, developing young players in terms of t- players like uh, Eden Hazard and Jovinho uh, as well um, into into at, at that time at least top top class attacking talents. Turning a Roma team who were who were uh, who had just lost the Italian Cup final and who were who were really uh, performing under their means in in the few seasons prior in in Serie A and taking them to a team that in in night like you know ninety seasons out of a hundred would have won the league and um, as well as as well as what he did at Marseille in that in that first uh, that that first uh, full campaign he is a guy who's shown that he can he can do. He, he can do impressive things, but overall, the, the the negatives outweigh the positives. And what we've seen in more recent times with Marseille, it's reminiscent almost of you know the trajectory of someone like to a to a lesser extent, but a lesser extent, but sorry, but somebody like Jose Mourinho, this kind of like a toxic to- toxicity that can grow around a club and around the sort of uh, perception of a club. 
you know, it's it's it, last season was a was a torrid old time for for Marseille for the most part, and and a big part of that was Garcia's tactics, Garcia's management, and and Garcia's demeanor and behaviour off the pitch as well. So yes, there is there is potential to do well. He, he's he's a talented coach. There's no denying that. But overall, I believe that the signs are the signs are, uh, don't bode well for for long term success. Yeah, he's he's not a, he's not a bad coach at all, but he's he's not the right one for for Leon. Exactly. And we'll be looking at Leon's matchup with Mets a little bit later in the episode. But just quickly, just to quickly review their game against Benfica in midweek on Wednesday, they lost. 2-1 with Rafa Silva and Pizzi scoring the goals for Benfica, cancelling out Memphis Depay's goal. Just a quick note, the blunder from, from the goalkeeper Lopez chucking it out to Pizzi just from the end. Did you see this? Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was quite a sad sight. Pretty side. awful, pretty yeah, awful. Yeah. yeah, it's a shame that it happened to Lopez, who's normally been you know, a great performer for Leon, but it's sort of <laughs> if it, it capped off what's been a, a difficult um, few <laughs> few weeks yeah. for them, yeah. and he was d- he was distraught really, and, and yeah. you sort of feel for him in, in that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Leon's Leon's you know arguably Leon's best player of the last few years, and certainly most consistent player. And the reason that the mistake happened was because he was desperate for them to go on and win the game. You know, he was frantically mm-hmm. trying to get the ball out rather than uh, rather than taking his time. Because uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's just an awful, awful attempt to redistribute the ball quickly and 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 throw it out, and it's intercepted by a uh, Pizzi who uh, who yeah just shoots it straight into the back of the net, empty net, and it's yeah it's it's just so uncharacteristically Anthony Lopez, somebody who is who is so consistent and 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 kind of so revered as a goalkeeper, and and yeah just such a shock and and such a disappointing disappointing end to the match. For Leon's sake, yeah. What a shame for Anthony Lopez. And the third match that involved French teams in the Champions League this week was Lille against Valencia. This one ended 1-1 with Jonathan Iconi, who's been having a really good season in a pretty average Lille side, scoring a 95th minute, I think it was, equaliser after Denis Cheryshev's goal had put Valencia 1-0 up in the second half. So, Clinton... Let's look at this match. I know you're a Lindsay fan, but let's look at this match from a Lille perspective. Firstly, how did you think they, they did in this game against Valencia? Did they deserve more? Valencia were non-existent in that game, to be honest. And huge credit to Lille. They were exceptional, I think. And I think they deserve to win, if I'm being honest. They deserve to win. They had a 27 shots. <laughs> like, that's, that's crazy. And they just yeah. completely destroyed our left side. Yazici and um, Celik were completely were menace together down our, our left side. And overall, the performance was really good. Benjamin Andre was on fire. And, you know, generally, the, the signs were good. And I think it was, it's just, once again, it was like the story of their entire CL campaign. They play really well. They, they do all of that. And then somehow they either lose or draw in this case. And but overall, I think it was a fantastic performance by Lille. And the fans were also very, very good for them because they spurred them on constantly all through the game. Even when they were losing, the fans were completely amazing. And generally, they they, they played very well. I, I, I heard Gautier say that, um, or I heard that he said that he had figured 
Valencia's weaknesses. And I think he was right about that because he completely, you know, got everything right. And um, really, I thought they were going to win at some point. In fact, I think just before the Sheriff goal, I was just saying that we are going to finish last in this group because Lila bought beat us. <laughs> and then next thing, we scored out of nothing. And so I thought, okay, maybe we're going to escape with this. And then at the end, Mikoni um, just scored that brilliant goal. Overall, Leo were fantastic, I think. They had 17 shots inside our box. 17. That's insane. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. It, is it Sellison and goal for Valencia these days? Yeah, Sellison. Ah, oh, okay. He's good. He's very good, though, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Lille for this match, they switched up their shape a little bit. Most yeah. of this season and the last few years, they've been going with a, a four man defence, usually with Jose yeah. Font partnered by someone in the heart of defence. But this time they changed to a bit more of a back three with Jose yeah. Font in the middle, Gabriel and Thiago Giallo uh, on his flanks, with you were talking about Celic and also uh, yeah. Domagoj Bradaric on the yeah. wing-backs. Do you think that worked a lot better for Lille? It helped them in defence and attack? Yes, actually, I think so, because um, we weren't able to build anything from our sides because of the way they were set up. Um, Celic was amazing, to be honest. I, I think I'm in love with him. He's a very good player. He's, very <laughs> good. he's, he's so good. Yeah. And there, was just, there was one point where he skinned um, Sheryshev, and I just screamed, like, what... <laughs> what is this? It was crazy, and but I think the, the the setup was actually spot on. I was surprised because I, of course I was expecting four to three one or something, and then I saw the lineup and I figured that that was what he wanted to do, and he completely shut us down, on you know out wide, and also was able to use the center effectively when they needed to. So um, I think it worked because they had defensively they were very solid, and. It, Offensively, also they were great. Generally, I think that system, the three-four-three formation or three-four-two-one, whichever way you look at it, it's one of the most balanced um, setups in football. So I'm not surprised that it worked. It was great. Uh, right. Cool. So and I also, think... I think um, Yazici had probably his best game his... in Indonesia. Yeah, his best game. Yeah, yeah. He was. He, I was surprised that he, he was taken off at some point because he was actually absolutely destroying Jeremy Costa at left back for us. Gaia was out injured, so we had to play Jeremy Costa, and he was destroying Costa. He kept getting to those positions, taking the ball, mm -hmm. taking him on, and you know he was playing with a lot of confidence, and it was really good to see. But I think man of the match obviously was uh, Benjamin Andre. Was everywhere. It was just everywhere. It was terrific. Yeah. Many I remember that against Ajax, I think he had about 10 tackles against Ajax. That was crazy. And then in this game, he had five key passes. It just shows you the kind of player he is. Like, he's like a two-way player. Defensively, he gives you that solidity. But then when you need something in attack, he's also able to, you know, he's competent enough to deliver yeah. something also. It was it was great. It was excellent. Yeah, we yeah. we talked about Andre earlier in the season, and just and just like how smart an acquisition that is for uh, for Lille, and he's he's been definitely one of their better performers this season. So just a quick look at Group H, which Lille are in. The setup at the halfway point is Chelsea and Ajax are at the top with Chelsea just above on goal difference. They are both on six points. Valencia are on four points. And Lille sit bottom with just the solitary point. 
Jake, it's a bit tough, isn't it? How do they approach these these next few matches? Do you think they can still get out of the group stage? I'm not entirely convinced that they can get out in in the top two into the next rounds of the Champions League. They've been they've been very very good in spells, and that was their best and most consistent performance so far. They were they were very very good in big spells against Chelsea and also against against Ajax, but but. Um, um, but the, yeah, they were excellent, excellent last night uh, or the other night, sorry. And, and they, they listen. If they if they can keep the consistency from that match and in, uh, going into their last few games, then they've got a real shout of picking up more points. But I think getting out in the top two is going to be a real tall order. And personally, I feel that that getting uh, that finishing third in the group is their is their best chance. And and based off based off that Valencia match, I, I really believe that they can do that. They've got a talented squad and, and some of their players are, uh, have really, really stepped up and really shown that they can, um, can have an impact in this competition. So I feel, I personally feel third is a, is a really good, good uh, cornerstone for them to aim for. And in, in that group, I think that's a good achievement, personally. So, so yeah, and it would be excellent to see how, how they could do in the Europa League with, with the squad they've got and the, 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 the performances they've shown, or the moments should I say, that they've shown so far in the Champions League. You just need to do, not make any mistakes because for that, that Valencia goal, you know, Thiago Jallo just completely switched off, you know. I mean, he does look like a sort of like a 1970s um, black exploitation <laughs> character from an American <laughs> film. But uh, yeah, he does. He, he's, you know, he's got what a nice reference. Yeah, <laughs> did you pull that out? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my but, God. Um, yeah, but it's... Um, it just needs, you know, to make not make their mistakes and and hopefully to to um, play as well as he did in this game, which was which was really impressive. Is it Starskin Hutch? Is the, is the big one they all said about black exploitation and things like that? Jesus, what a <laughs> reference! Talk about Rennes versus Cluj, one of two teams, French teams, that were involved in the Europa League this week. They lost one nil to the Romanian champions Cluj with Cyprian Diak getting the goal. This was a match that Ren finished with nine men. Mbeniang missed a penalty, and they've now lost four games in a row. Just nothing's been going right for Ren recently, has it? I mean, today's result just sort of sums it up quite uh, quite nicely. They've just been kind of just dreadful, and, and you look at both the red cards, and it's difficult. I mean, Camavinga's only 16, you can sort of get away with that um, I think this was this was coming for him um, he has sort of shown a little bit of um, uh, naivety and his youth I mean he is only 60 he can get away with that that's called easily. tenacity if he doesn't get sent <laughs> off that's how it works okay <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, Edouard Mondi who's been one of their best well he's, he's kept him in a lot of games um, getting sent off isn't, <laughs> as soon as he comes back as well Um it's, I mean, it isn't great either. It's, it's, it's difficult because they've, they just have that. There's some, some mental um, problem where they just can't hold onto leads, and it was they showed it against Monaco. I mean, that was a, a really fun game to watch. Um, I'm sure um, Rich might not have thought it was fun right at the very end, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. Uh, it was selfish. I mean, I mean, Roman Salam was lucky that the goal got ruled out for. I think it was Kate Balde when he completely just ran out 
of his net for no apparent reason um, and missed the ball and uh, I think I was ruled out because it was a handball but it, I just don't think that, that I think Clinton you said last week that you were worried that that Stefan would would be getting the sack pretty soon um, I think yeah. just because of just because of, of who he is he gets away with um, a few more weeks but it, it'll it comes to a point where you know, Olivia Latang has got to look at it and, and think, how long can I let this go on for before you know, we're in yeah. real trouble? Yeah. Absolutely horrible form right now. And there's still no yeah. one since August. That's it's just that's, that's crazy. Something that sticks out, like, is, see when you look at their defence, it's just so frail. Like, like Feta Moussa scored that goal against Monaco and himself and Hamari Traore have showed in recent weeks that they, you know, they, they quite enjoy getting forward a little bit more. Hamari Traore's made so many assists this season. Um, but generally, they like to push up a little bit higher on the pitch. Joris Nyangon, uh, on loan from Sevilla, I believe, hasn't shown yeah. loads of solidity. Damien De Silva no. hasn't been great this season. Jerry Morel's 35. Like, come on, you got to look at that backline and be like, where did the transfers team, how did the transfers team think, yeah, that'll do this season. That'll do until January. Do, 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 you, do you know what I mean? It just looks a little bit frail at the back right now. So, uh, so for me, it's not much of a surprise that they're not doing great, especially with the manager who's still learning how it all works. He's, he's like 38 or 39, Julian Stefan. It just seems quite clear to me at the moment. But I do hope that Rem pick up in, in the next few weeks and stuff. Although mm. they, do have, they do have some difficult games coming up. But this one against Toulouse at the weekend, probably a few weeks ago, looked a bit of an easier game. But now with Kumbari in, you know, players get a bit more wind in their sails. So that'll probably end up turning into a difficult match. But yeah, I know what you mean. See when, see because of the manner that Ren lost this match, they probably he probably won't be any closer to the sack. But if yeah. results don't improve, it'll absolutely happen. But you have absolutely. to take a look across at, at Cluj for this match. I thought that was hilarious. So the guy that scored for Cluj, Cyprian Diak, is a 33-year-old. You know, he's been about the block in Eastern European football, playing in Cluj for a couple of times. This season, in seven matches, he's had five goals and five assists. But look at the statistics on that. PSG are going to be dropping 10 million <laughs> on him soon. Like, you know, I'm just saying. And also, uh, another player that was playing for Cluj was this... Thomas, I want to tell you about this guy because I know you like your up-and-coming strikers. Really exciting guy that's coming up right now. Uh, Lucina Traore. Uh, oh, he's, he's good, he's good. <laughs> oh, he's coming back. I forgot about him. Of Monaco and My Amion God. fame. He's been around the block six foot eight. And he's absolutely horrible these days, I hear. Uh, but yes, yeah, so he was playing for clues. I thought that was quite funny to uh, see across the border. Um, looking at Group E right now for Rennes in the Europa League, it doesn't make great reading. They sit bottom with just one point. Um, they are six points behind Celtic at the top, five behind Cluj, who sit in second, and Lazio have three points Clinton, do you see Ren getting out of this group, or do they have a lot still to prove? I I don't see them getting out of this, the group at all. I think they're out, in fact, because um, it, it, let's say they they were somehow informed and they just got unlucky. It's a different you know conversation, but they've just been poor. Like they've they've been conceding a lot of goals. They've not won any game since 
um, August, and they have just one point after three games, and I believe they've played two home games already. So they are going away for the uh, for two of the last three games. Mm. I think that's that's already a problem. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I don't think that they are getting out of that group at all. In fact, I think they are going to be last. I remember Newcastle losing three games in Champions League one time, and then the second round of games, they won all three of their games. I think they had Juventus in that group. I can't quite remember. But they came out of that group somehow. <laughs> so uh, anything is possible in football, like I, I said. Mm. You never know. Perhaps if they, mm. if um, Stefan gets fired and a new manager comes, they get a new manager bounce and somehow they... You know, stagger to three three wins and come out of the group, but I don't think it's likely. I think yeah. they're probably out at this mm. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's difficult. It's it's difficult for Ren. French teams just haven't been great in Europe over this like season, have they? Jesus, just generally looking at it. Um, and the last match we are going to review of French teams that played in Europe this week was Saint Etienne. They hosted Ukrainian side Alexandria. They drew 1-1 with left-back Gabriel Silva, who made his first appearance of the season, scoring the opener for <laughs> San Etienne before going, oh, no, that's way too easy, and just going and putting another goal in his own net a couple of minutes later. So he scored and scored an own goal. Jake, San Etienne are playing against a team that's the same name as my grandmother. How are they drawing <laughs> this? Like, come on, like... San Etienne's season, we all know, hasn't gone well. Claude Puel yeah. was supposed to come in and just instantly change that. And yeah, they won their first two matches, but fans want their team to do well in Europe, and this isn't the best initiation, is it? No, it's not. And they've they've definitely been better over the last couple of day, uh, couple of games under Claude Puel as well. So I think most most San Etienne fans would have been looking at this game, you know, the week definitely the weakest team in the group at home as a game that they can win. And poor Gabriel Silva, because, you know, he's, he's been out for a long time and he was terrific for them last season. Terrific. And, you know, should come, come back and, and really uh, make the left back spot at the club his own. I feel um, if, uh, if they want to play a Kolodzijak as a, as a central defender, that is, and, and to score, to score on your return and then only to, and then to score an own goal six minutes later is, is unlucky to say the least, but but yeah, that that is a really disappointing result when, especially when they played a really good side as well. If you look at the team that they fielded uh, against uh, Alexandria, so so yeah, I think Santetian fans will look at, at that group compared to say the, the group that Ren have in the in the in the Europa League and 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 really view it as as a chance missed or at least chances being missed. But it, it's it's difficult to see them progressing beyond this point after. Especially after this result, you know, which is which is is quite frankly poor. Yeah, there, there's not many players that I would replace in the lineup they played. Maybe Arno Nordam, but you know they they had Ruffier in goal, Debushi, Saliba, Kolasinac, Gabriel Silva, like we said, the back four, Zeda Yusuf, who by the way has really impressed me this season since moving from Bordeaux. Uh, but also Jan and Villa, uh, you know, Romain Hamuma, Robert Beric. It wasn't a bad team against this Ukrainian side who are currently sitting fourth in their league. They're not even sitting first. You know, it, it was disappointing. 
Claude Puel's side had a lot of possession and created chances, but they just didn't get goals, which has been quite a typical trait throughout Claude Puel's recent managerial Mm -hmm. career. Clinton, does this just show that even though the new guys come into San Etienne, there's still a lot of work to be done at the club? Yes, definitely. Um, I said... I said after the um, game against Bordeaux that um, I do not think Saint-Étienne will score a lot of goals this season, on that period at least. I, I don't see where it's coming from because um, the way they attack, they, they, normally they don't even like really come out and you know go at teams. But I think in the last 15 minutes of this game, they really you know made that effort. But there was something I noted. When um, the game got into added time, time it took for them to even get one shot i mean it's it's extra time it's like the added time last four minutes at that point you're supposed to show some urgency you're supposed to be throwing balls all the way down mm-hmm. there and just trying to get a shot and they were struggling to get one shot on target like they just couldn't get a shot in or something or even a cross in and it, it just showed you know their def- deficiency and how i mean i think defensively they're going to be really good i think on that pure, but offensively, there's a lot of work to be done. The movement, you know, between the front three, or, or you know, depending on who is playing, and also the distance between the players. Like um, in the in the Bordeaux game, I noted that um, Shalabi was far away from Kajri um, and and Budibus. Like the 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 distance between them was just too much, so they couldn't really interact and you know create anything of, of, of any significance. And I think it happened again here. And, you know, generally, I think that Piola has to do a lot of work with their attacking system, how they play, how they approach games, and, you know, all of that. But it, it, it's a lot of work, I think. It's a lot of work because they are just so poor going forward. They are not really creating enough. And you know, it shows. I think they were lucky to come out of Bodo with a win. And mm. again tonight, I thought they were going to nick it in, like at the death, but then, like I said, lack of urgency and all of that in the end. But you know, they've just been riding their luck somewhat. Of course, they've looked, like I said, very good defensively, but there's just so much work to do in attack. It's just not clicking. I'm not seeing anything. Mm-hmm. I think the only exciting person so far on that period has been Bwanga. I think he's very exciting. He's been going at players, taking on players. And he's, he has looked like the person most likely to make something happen. But apart from him, I'm not, I'm not seeing anything. Even Kazri isn't looking really good at this point. So mm-hmm. there's just so much. Okay, so that wraps up our review section. Let's look at a few of the matches for this weekend. So we've, all, we've already talked about PSG a little bit earlier on in the episode, and they've got a big match this weekend against Olympique Marseille, you know, Le Classique, one of these big derbies in French football, a match that's really made its name in, in the 90s and, and late 80s, but a match that's been dominated by PSG in recent years, with them now unbeaten in the last 15 clashes, winning the last four like I said, we've already talked a little bit about PSG this season. So, Thomas, let's focus on Marseille. How do they how do they look coming into this match generally? How's their season been so far? <laughs> it's always hard to say with Marseille sometimes. But um it's, it's just inconsistency all the time, isn't it? There's yeah. no there's no yeah, real they've, they've they've played some games well, they've drawn some games they shouldn't have drawn. 
Um, and I think they lost against Amion a couple of weeks ago, which is uh, yeah, that not, not a great sign. I mean, Amion a, 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 a okay team, but you shouldn't really be losing. I think it was two, three, two, one, three, one. I think three, it was. one, yeah, three, one, three, 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 three one, one, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just it's kind of typical Marseille, but I'm not sure about this game. Um, I know it's it's a, it is always a huge game. Um, a lot of support from either side. It's going to be a fiery atmosphere as always, but PSG most of the time have too much for Marseille. Um, there's been times in the past where um, Marseille have challenged. I mean, I remember the the recent two all draw they had, where I think it was Cavani scored that wonder free kick in last yeah uh, last last minute yeah last minute that yeah, was it yeah, yeah. Um, and and PSG do come to this you know they did play midweek in Marseille. Um, haven't played midweek, so maybe the, that that factor of, of fatigue comes into play. But I'm really not sure um, how much it does, and whether PSG just just kind of roll Marseille over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting start to life under Andre Villas Boas. He said quite recently that they just had very little money to spend on transfers. So mm. with looking at a team that's not super different to what Rudy Garcia was playing with towards the end of last season. I I like to be positive in these type of situations. I love young managers, so anyone under 50, pretty much, he's 42 years old. <laughs> I, 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 want, I want him to do well, you know. It was like that guy who was um, managing, I think it was Wolfsburg last season, Tedeschi or, or something like that. A guy Tedesco. Who, yes, Tedesco. Oh, Tedesco at Schalke, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how old was he again? He's like, under like 33 or something. Or something yeah, like so, yeah, I just wanted him to do so well. I loved like super young managers, um, mm. which is why I like Luca Elsner this season at Amion. But they are looking at mm. an interesting team. But uh, anyway, yeah, Marseille. So I was looking at Andre Villas-Boas and, you know, he's 42. He, he took a couple of years out of his career to go do rally car driving or, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I realised yeah. he did his coaching badges, like his top coaching badge in Scotland. I didn't realise, because the Scottish FA is quite good for those types of things. But I was looking at his career, and, you know, I was like, oh, he's 42 years old. Is he that experienced in these big matches, these big derbies with with big atmospheres and things like that? And he's he's played his part in quite a few derbies. There was the O Classico between Porto and Benfica, the Porto derby against Boavista in his time at Porto. He's managed in the North London derby for Tottenham, mm-hmm. as amongst other various London derbies. The St. Petersburg derby when he was at Zenit, the derby of, Duke Cap- of two capitals against a lot of the Moscow teams. And of course, who could forget the Shanghai derby in the Chinese Super League? Oh, that's God. A- yes, it's a dirty something. Thomas, you don't want to go near it. Okay, honestly, <laughs> the ultras will have you in, a, in like that. It's so aggressive. But he is experienced in these type of things. So I think he'll be going into this game not... He, what am I trying to say? He won't be going in just to draw it. I think deep down he'll think we've got a bit of a chance here. Jake, mm. do you think they have a chance here? Or is it going to be another one of these games that involve PSG and teams that you think could pose them an issue, like, for instance, Andre in the last few weeks, where it just turned out to be a cakewalk for Paris. Look, he's... Uh, VS Boas, as you say, he has the experience. He's also really played down Marseille's chances over uh, uh, over the week. You know, he's been saying that PSG are in another league compared to Marseille, compared to other teams in Ligue 1. So he's been very much playing the, 
the underdog card and, and taking the pressure off his team uh, for the Classique. But it's it's very, very, very difficult to look beyond PSG for the win here, I think. Marseille have been pretty poor defensively recently, with uh, especially with uh, Alvaro Gonzalez being being out, who's who's kind of shored things up a little bit when he was present in that back line. I'm still not convinced by the Bubakar Camera Chalatachara centre back partnership. Um, I I just think that you know whatever his experience in in these kind of matches is, the classic is the classic is huge, and PSG have been really fired up for it in in recent years, despite you know what what people may think, and and I think it's going to be really it's really difficult to look beyond PSG. For the win here, especially considering that Marseille haven't won at the Parc de Prince since 2010, I believe. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's going to be really. It's 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 for me. It's a it's a nailed on PSG win, pretty much. So, gents, what's your score prediction for this one, Clinton? I'll start with you. What do you think this match is going to finish? <laughs> I love Marseille, but four <laughs> 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 nil. <laughs> I love it. I love it, uh, Jake. Uh, despite what I was saying, I do think that that Marseille are going to have a go. So I think, especially as uh, Dimitri Payet is is going to be back, so we could add a bit of a creative spark. So I'm going to say three one PSG, but a comfortable three one, maybe a late consolation from Marseille. Mm. Uh, Thomas, uh, I'll go three nil PSG. I'll. I think I'm going to join you, Jake. I think it'll be three-one. I think Paris will never really let the game go out of their hands, but I feel like someone will like score a header, a, a corner, <laughs> like the ninety-third minute, you know, Dario. some, some Dario. stupid yeah, like yeah, that. Oh, Dario Benedetto. Dario, Dario, yeah. Oh, he's Thiago Silva in the right pocket, Presnel Kimpembe in his left pocket. Uh, it's looking up Kayla Navas. Honestly, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I do like Benedetto. I do like Benedetto. Yeah, yeah, he scored, five, he scored five goals. I love him. I love yeah. him. I wish he was younger. He's just an amazing player. Yeah. Yeah. His numbers when he played in South America were just awesome. I think it's been a bit of a shame that he's not come over to Europe until quite late on in his career. What he's like, yeah, yeah, definitely. 28. Um, yeah. Bocca could have done with him the other night as well. So, yeah, no, he's, he's he, he looks good. Yeah. Uh, Another match we're going to preview is Leon versus Mets. So, like I said, we did talk a little earlier about Leon and the new manager, Rudy Garcia, coming in. He's not been so popular with lots of the fans. I think he got booed when his name was called out in the first match against Dijon. I want to say, yeah, uh, it was it was a it was yeah, a nil nil draw, which is just so depressing. I know Dijon have been a little bit better recently, but you think that a club the size of of Leon with their mm. firepower would just walk all over them and they just didn't. So Leon are now winless in their last five home matches. It's going to be quite the test against Mets who are a bit of a tricky side. You know, they won last week against a high flying nod. They won one nil. Thomas, do you think that Mets could upset the odds again at Leon, a club that don't look too settled at the moment? I mean, um, they could do. It just depends if Habib Diallo uh, is in form, which he seems to be. Uh, he's, I mean, uh, we've we've talked, we've spoken before about um, Victor Osimhen carrying Lille, but Habib Diallo has, has carried Mets. I mean, just looking at the the basic um, scoring stats, and Mets have scored nine goals this season. Diallo's scored seven of them at <laughs> nine, so he's he's um, he's, he's trying his best. 
yeah, he's trying his best to, to, and he has carried through that form from that he did have in Leeds last season, and he, a lot of them were penalties. Um, but it's good to see he's, he's stepped up uh, really well to to um, top tier football. Uh, it's it's I mean it's, it's kind of up to him to see see if um, he can produce. I mean, Mets have got a lot of other good players, um, but at the moment it's just about them clicking together at the moment. Uh, that midfield I've not been too convinced by. Um but in that non game it was it was quite good, quite resilient. Um Underarm probably had his best game for, for Mets um, that I've seen. Uh, I'm still concerned about the defence. I mean John Boy uh, yeah, you're John Boy. Um yeah. <laughs> you know for Fano alongside him he's, he's a good young uh, centre back. Um so it it could be a, a tricky one for for Leon, especially in the sort of slump of, of form, uh, I thought it was interesting. Well, funny that you know Mets beat Non, and the only way you beat Non is by either well winning one nil probably or by one goal at least. Yeah. Um, and the only way Non win is by winning by <laughs> one goal, it seems. Um, but yeah, it it <laughs> I think it it could be it should be really a, a walkover for Leon, looking where how Mets how Mets are at the moment, but current form you just you just really never know and if you look at Habib Diallo like you said who's just been so important for them this season he's only played twice for Senegal you know less than Sadatube of Angers now and Bristol City's Famara Diedhu you know it's just like for how how has he not made more of an impact on Senegal's team I know he has been playing in League 2 up until recently but he just shows so much talent right now I think if Mets do go back down he'll be on the transfer list of a lot of kind of mid-table sides. Uh, such a talent, such a talent. Scored against Monaco earlier this season. Very, mm. very good. Um, so, like we said, Leon's manager, a little bit more conservative. Do you think that he'll try and switch up his style and go a little bit more attacking in this game? Because when you look at the personnel that he has, like O.R. and Co. Rennie Adelaide, you know, all midfielders and attackers like Dembele, who, who can just create something out of nothing, it looks as if they have the team that should just win this with ease. Clinton, what's your score prediction for this one? Do you think Leon could win it, or will it be a tricky one as Mets come to town? Well, I, I think it will be um, tricky, but I think um, Leon would finally win a game. Um, probably 1-0. One but, um, in fact, if I'm going to... If I, I'm not even sure it's going to be 1-0 anymore. I think it's going to be a draw. <laughs> 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 I changed my mind because I just thought about it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's going to be a one-one. <laughs> he loves it. He loves a draw. He loves a, a he loves a draw. Really, Garcia these days. Yeah, oh. it does. Play for the draw. Honestly, play for the draw. Uh, Thomas, what do you think this will finish? Uh, I'm going to go for a two-one Leon win, probably. But uh, I'm just going to call out it now. Um, if you don't want to play uh, Adelaide, then uh, you can loan him back to us for a half a season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's not really a, he's not really kicked on developed there, but he, you know probably should have saved Andre. But you can loan his loan him back to us. We'll uh, we'll bring him back to form. Honestly, like any other manager would have him playing well. It's just like Leon just aren't the team you want to go to right now. Honestly, um, and Jake, what do you think this one will finish? So, despite my my strong thoughts on Rudy Garcia, I think I do think this is a game that they'll win. I think he'll get his first win because they have shown decent signs. You know, they really did give Dijon a bit of a pasting and we're unlucky not to win that. And also uh, John Boy and uh, uh, Thomas Delaine are, are absent from uh, from the Mets defence, which is going to could prove costly. So I think I think a nice 
relatively comfortable 2-0 win for, for Leon is on the cards. You know what? You guys, you honestly, you three, you should never get into betting. Honestly. Because <laughs> there is no way that Leon are winning this match, okay? <laughs> Mess, Habib Diallo, back post, hat trick, 3-0. Honestly, I don't see Leon winning this game in the slightest. I've, I've not seen anything that convinces me the Mets aren't just going to turn up just just rock it I think they're going to I think Mets are going to win like 1-0 or something you know at Leon at home I think the fans are just going to be on top of Garcia and his men I really don't see Leon winning this match I'm not going to lie I want to be positive but I just can't be I just think Leon are just going to slip up again like they did like they managed to do against Benfica and like they did against Dijon another game that they should have been winning uh, yeah, sorry, gentlemen. Sorry to tell you, but uh, Mets are winning this one. So there you go. Um, the last game we're going to look at here is Strasbourg versus Nice. This is a game I wanted to look at because, A, because we've not looked at Strasbourg in a few weeks, but also Nice have found it a little bit difficult in the last few weeks. Uh, let's start with the home side. So, like I've said, they've found it a little bit difficult to get started this season. They've failed to score in six matches in Ligue 1 and have just two clean sheets to their name so far. They've lost four of their last six games and currently sit quite far down the table. You'll be glad to hear. Clinton, what do you make of Strasbourg's season so far? Uh, it's been very disappointing. I, I have a very high opinion of Strasbourg. They're one of the teams I feel um, are like probably one of the most underrated teams in all of Europe, to be honest. I think they have a really good squad. And last season, I was just really rooting for them and all that. And I thought they were going to be able to make you know the Europa League group stages this time. And then, I mean, their, their season started early. So they had a head start on everybody in terms of you know preparedness for the season. And somehow, of course, that didn't materialize. They, they lost out. Um, in the final round, I think. Yeah. Europa League yeah. for group stages. And then season started and they've just not been able to kick on and just do something or put together any sort of form. I I can't quite, you know, figure out what their problem is because I think they're a really good side and their setup is good, everything is good, but they just fall short somehow. And but I, I think it's just... Um, I think it's just a phase. I think they're going to get out of it soon. I think they're going to put together two, three wins in a row. And after that, they'll be fine. So I don't think there's any reason to panic anyway. But they need to do that soon. It needs to happen like ASAP because we're almost in November. And before you know it, they're going to be in trouble. So yeah. I think um, generally there's not much of a problem in terms of process. It's just the outcome that, you know, is faulty so i think if they're able to get that they just need like you know how it works sometimes everything just goes bad yeah and then at other times everything just starts you know working mm. so i think they're on the other side of everything going bad and then very soon it's going to be the other way around i mean you you said there clinton when you look at their squad it's not a bad squad it's quite a good squad mm. i like matt sales yeah. as a keeper you know Kenny Lala, yeah. so good on at so many times last season. Suzuko, Fafana, yeah. Tomasan, Ajork. These are all players that would walk into a lot of league and teams, but it's just not yeah. clicking right now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just not clicking. And it's it's really remarkable because when they signed Jijiko, um, mm. they strengthened with him. I felt, okay, this is excellent. And they also got Belgard from Lance, was it? And yeah. I, I absolutely love Belgard. And I just felt, okay, these these are really good signings. And they were able to keep Kenny Lala. I just felt they would kick on. I mean, they had a very good season last year. And I just thought they would kick on. So it's just really surprising to me that they're where they are on the table. And uh, in fact, I had them as an, as the outsider for a CL uh, place, and somehow they are fighting relegation. It's, mm-hmm. it's insane, but yeah. I guess that's how football works. Mm. I think the last thing like anyone wants to see at the moment is the boards take a, a, a rash decision and sack yeah, Thierry, exactly. Thierry Lorray, for example. Yeah. Like for all mm. that he did last season. In the cup competitions, getting them to eleventh, you know, giving the team a, a bit of excitement. A team that was playing so far down the French pyramid yeah. just a few years yeah. ago, like all that he's given to the team in the last few years, I would hate for him to be sacked just off a poor start, which so yeah. often happens these days. Um, yeah, he's, football, yeah. he's been there a few years, and so I think I'll give him give him some time at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and a lot of a lot of the fans seem to be backing him. Like a lot of spokes yeah. spokespeople from the fan groups have come out and said that they. They support him, and that you know they're well aware of what he's done for the club and and where the club have been in recent years. So it's it's tough because you know he he's shown so many promising signs, and he is a really talented coach. And and as far as I'm concerned, the right man for the job. But they've just been in free fall in the league for sort of the last eight nine months, really. So since they got to the Coupe de la Ligue final, so so it's tough. But I I agree with Clinton as well that I think if they can string a couple of victories together, if they can get over the sort of Europa League fatigue um, yeah. that they had, then 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 they can then they'll be okay. Especially with how close the table is at the moment. Mm. You know, they're 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 twentieth, but they're they're seven points behind fourth. So, you know, it's really or like um like th- uh, three points off twelfth, for example. So, so so yeah, fingers crossed for Thierry Loray because I really I really rate him and I really, as the other guys have said, they they got a really good squad. I think overall. One thing that kind of fills me with a bit of positivity ahead of this match is Strasbourg's home form has actually been really good this season. Mm. Uh, of their six wins in all competitions, that's including the Europa League qualifiers, they've won five of them at home uh, and also they've only lost one of their last eight home matches. So, you know, you've got to look at the, the small positives, small positives, which makes me think that they might actually get a good result here uh, against Nice. So, Nice, we talked about them a few weeks ago with them getting bought over, you know, new money coming into the club, new signings like Claude Maurice and Unas and Dolberg, and that was fine for a couple of weeks, but they are now winless in their last four matches, and they have five teams within two points of them in the table. So a defeat could be really costly, even though they sit 11th at the moment. Jake, is Vieira feeling the heat? To a certain extent, um, to the extent that they're not, Nice are not where where many people expected them to be so far this season. Um, given that the only the only big loss this summer was San Maxima was Alan San Maxima to Newcastle, and um, the the signings that they made in the the new Ineos uh, era of Nice were were pretty promising, and they you know they clearly replaced him with Adam Unas and with Alexis Claude Maurice, who who showed a lot of talent in Ligue 2 last season. But they've 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 really not they've really not pushed on in areas that we thought they would. Uh, in that the defensively, they only conceded 35 goals last season and they've already conceded 17 in the league this season. Yeah. They've been poor defensively. Um, 
Um, Vieira hasn't really settled on a team, and and defensively they've they've yeah they've just not been been anywhere near as solid as we expect. And part of that is absences. Ma- uh, Malong Sao has only just come back, who's who's um, from injury, who's a who's a very very talented youngster. But I I really don't feel that Vieira is deploying the team in the the best system suited to them. A lot of the a lot of the sort of um, early season we saw um, uh, Yusuf Atal being deployed at, at right midfield. We saw, uh, we've seen Saar recently playing at left back, and um, uh, I, I yeah, think I really don't think that's that's his best position. I and, think that's um, so stupid, honestly. Yeah, yeah. The Marling Saar things made me so mad because I, yeah. I was just so impressed with him last season, and I thought that so much of Nice's uh, great defensive performances came when they played with a back three last season yes. with Arel and Dante and Saar. It just worked so well, and yeah. I don't know why yeah. he keeps getting played at left back. Exactly, he's exactly. just not a good left back. No, he's he's not, and 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 yeah, I, I guess because when he was called in that position last last season, they were so kind of well drilled and solid, and they built on that that he, it it did kind of work, but it's not this season. And luckily, he said a lot midweek that he's uh, he's given the impression midweek in his press conference that he's going to switch to a back three um, for this game, um, especially as he also did that in the last match when uh, Andy Pelmar came on after the two the two sending offs. But but yeah, overall, I think he. He will be feeling the heat because of the Ineos takeover, but I don't think there's any real risk of him losing his job or anything like that. I, I, I clearly, Jim Ratcliffe joked this week that he hated Vieira when he was uh, when he was a player because of his because um, of his because uh, because Jim Ratcliffe, uh, the, the Nice owner, is a is a Man United fan and obviously uh, hates Vieira for his Arsenal uh, for his Arsenal <laughs> association. But this was this was like been taken out of context, I think, in, but certainly by the by the English press. They've also taken um, taken this interview that Vieira did with uh, uh, RMC in in France, saying that he would love to manage Arsenal one day. They're kind of taking quotes from that out of context. Vieira's not in any real danger, I don't think. But Nice, but but Nice, Nice are underperforming, and 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 a change needs to be made, especially in terms of the system that Vieira is using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs to figure out what his his best lineup is uh, at the moment because that I think that back that back line hasn't. Hasn't been consistent. I think he's he's not played the same back line more than twice, uh, at least started wow. this season. So it's um, it's kind of all over the place. And and obviously, Walter Bree says isn't the the deity that he, he was he was for the majority of, of last season, just keeping everything out. But, um, mm. Yeah, it's, it is it is concerning. Just stop playing Sar and left back, please. So let me get your score predictions, gentlemen. Clinton, I'll start with you. What do you think this game is going to finish? I think it will be two one to Strasbourg. Oh. I think they're going to it's going to be one one mm. at some point and then Strasbourg will score again. I joke will score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> uh, Thomas? I'm gonna go one nil, uh, Strasbourg. I think they'll uh, keep that home form going and and get a, a good win. And finally, Jake, what do you think this match between Strasbourg and Nice is going to finish? I'm going to go 1-1. Wow, buck the trend. Who's scoring? <laughs> oh, good question. Uh, I'm going to go uh, Lebon Motiva off the bench for Strasbourg. Oh. Uh, and then a late equaliser from the man Dante from a set piece. He does love a headed goal. I'll give you that. <laughs> he does like that. Um I am going to agree with Clinton and Thomas. I think Strasbourg will probably win this. Like I said, their home form is very good. 
and Nice just look a little bit lost at the moment. And, you know, the, the both sides here have got good squads. But yeah, in my waters, I'm feeling Strasbourg getting a win here. And that wraps us up. Clinton, Thomas, Jake, thank you very much for joining me. If you want to find more information on all things French and football, you can go to www.getfootballnewsfrance.com or you can also follow us on Twitter at GFFN. I've been Lois McParlin and we'll see you next time on the GFFN preview show. See you later.